The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome to Everybody is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf Review podcast, where we're making our way through every episode of the show in order. But today, we're taking a bit of a divergent path. Um, yeah. We are looking at a lost episode of Red Dwarf. <laughs> As usual, yes. it's myself, Phil Hawkins, the regular long-term fan of Red Dwarf that's been watching since the 90s, and Adam Martin. Yes, the relative newbie who's been watching since uh, the start of 2021. And uh, yeah, having a lot of having a lot of fun with the show. As I always say, I'm still here. You know, you're still getting a part. If I didn't like it, I don't think we would have gotten this far. So that's a good sign. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, as I said, this is the lost episode of Red Dwarf. And what we mean by that is something that first cropped up on the Series 7 DVD when it was released in the early 2000s. Mm. And it is a script that was written for Red Dwarf, got quite far, got to the re-scripting stage, um, but then was dropped for budgetary reasons and i can mm-hmm. after having watched it i can see why there's yeah. a lot going on there's a lot of extras yeah. there's a lot of there would have been a lot of costume work involved in this um and, and a lot of other characters beside our main our main people so um it's called identity within mm-hmm. it was written by john mckay yep and it got like i said it got redraft a few got, got quite far towards production getting redraft a few times by a few different writers and then was dropped at the last minute. But the version that's on the DVD is Chris Barry reading through the script of the first, it's either the first draft or it's one of the early drafts. So it's not the it's not after another writer came in and, and made some changes. So it's kind of one of those early. Um, and it's all set to a, a sort of storyboard images, which were done especially for the DVD. So this is a very cat-centric Yeah, episode. which made me sad in a way, because we've often said on this show, haven't we? Well, so far, anyway, through the first seven series, that Cat hasn't really... I don't think he's had a really, like, you know, where he's, like, the main focus. We've always said he's sort of relegated to the one with the quippy, derogatory one-liners about other characters and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it as we go through, but yeah, I was... I, I was a bit bummed out afterwards. I was like, oh man, like the one time Cat gets a, an episode and it and it never made it. I know, because he's kind of like one of the closest episodes we've got to being about Cat was quite early on where they had the whole Cat religion discussion. But even that, it was more about Lister in that episode. So yeah. it feels a real shame to have missed out on this, this sort of very Cat-centric episode. And, yeah. and arguably, we didn't get another Cat-centric episode until last year's the the um the promised land so yes yeah ah, which we'll, we we'll eventually get to in <laughs> at some point in the not too distant future we will so this episode starts um with cat being ill um yes. lister is is called in by a Crichton and and we find out the cat's ill and it's because he needs to breed or he will die <laughs> of course which which is Seems to be uh, riffing off a Star Trek thing. I know you're not a Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. Adam, but um, in the Vulcans have to mate every seven years. Or oh, right. Oh. So this is this feels very much a riff off that. Wow. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, um, n- no disrespect to the Star Trek fandom. Um, I'll say I'm not a Star Trek fan yet, <laughs> dot, 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 yet. It's just a, yeah, I mean, uh, for context, my only exposure has been the recent movies, you know, with Chris Pratt and all that. So, um, and I thought they were, I enjoyed them for what they were, but I appreciate there's a lot more out there and probably a lot better out there. Um, but no, I did not know this was a Star Trek riff, so... Um, yeah, but I mean that must have been that must have seemed quite on the nose to you then, because that that just like that whole concept of needing to, you know, essentially have sex otherwise you die. You know, it's quite an yeah. I think it's. I I don't even know if Star Trek was the first first thing to do it. It probably wasn't. I imagine that's probably been a thing in sci-fi and fantasy for yeah. a long time. I suspect, but um, that but does yeah, work with Cat's character kind of, though. Like, I mean, yeah, you know, of course he does, and I mean. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about this another time, but in the Red Dwarf book we've been reading, which we will, uh, which we will get to, um, I remember there's a point where uh, when they're in the better than life, you know, simulation, and it talks about Cat's schedule, and I think he has sex, you know, several times a day. So I guess it, it made me think of that because I've recently just finished it. So you know, it made me think of, oh right, so you know, it ties into that. So it didn't feel like it came out of nowhere to me, like this whole concept, this. It sounds so strange to say, but this somehow seems plausible for the character of Cat, you know? Yeah. So in the medical bay, there are, uh, Crichton, when he's explaining this, that i got to say, the drawings, what do you think about these storyboard drawings? I think they're really good. They are, considering that they're, they're storyboards. And I mean, at first, obviously, because, you know, I think with any TV, but with Red Dwarf, I'm used to obviously seeing, you know, actors and m- m- movement. So, uh, you know, for the first minute or so, I was like, okay, it took me a while to get adjusted but yeah i got into it you know after about a minute or two i wasn't bothered that it was just you know a series of of pictures in a way because the story still came through as you said both in the drawings but we've just got to say i mean chris barry's impressions of everyone is just so spot on isn't it oh absolutely i mean especially i mean some of them more than others lister for instance oh my his god lister, yeah. I, I genuinely if i had just been listening to that would have thought it was craig charles it was so yeah good. Like certain lines like sounded exactly like Craig Charles. And I thought his Crichton was pretty good too. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And his cat was, de- I mean, cat's hard to do, I they, guess, if you think about it. But yeah. They it, were I all th- pretty good. Um, with the Crichton and cat ones, there were kind of more moments where I could hear it. I could hear Chris coming through a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it's hard to keep up. But like he's really good at doing impressions. And under short periods of time, that's going to be a lot easier than doing sustaining it for a whole Oh, for sure. Thing, because of course he's he did the narration for the uh, the audio books for the for the book we we're in the middle of reading, in fact, as well. So yes, he's yeah. very much used to doing this, and we've seen it in the show as well before him mimicking the others um, and doing their voices. It's very good at it. Yeah, absolutely. So it didn't bother me at all having the whole um, episode just being him reading it. Although it did throw me every time they changed scene because <laughs> you, of course got the. Yeah interior day yeah part <laughs> an of hour me, later i bit. don't know about part of me felt they could have done with I, as you said i get that the, he's just reading from a script and it is a script reading but in my head as it was going i was thinking you know the the drawings as you said do a good job of sort of saying where we are but i wonder maybe could, we could have done without like the the stage directions if you will yeah possibly I, I don't know yeah. maybe i'd be interested to watch a version without them and then maybe i'd complain and say oh i've got no idea where we are but 
Um, I feel a lot of the dialogue sort of speaks for itself. So, but like you say, yeah, yeah, the, it sort of the takes dialogue and the, and as you said, the pictures as well, um, yeah. the drawings themselves do give a really good indication of what setting we're in and things. So, I think that that probably covered it by itself. It is odd not having the laugh track. That was one thing I noticed That's very true, early yeah. on because obviously there's there are jokes in this, you know, set up to be jokes, and some of them still for me still worked. Not saying I need a laugh track to enjoy comedy. Obviously, the purpose of a laugh track is to be there to highlight the points in which they they want the audience to laugh. But I just think some of the jokes to me fell fell a bit flatter, or, or you know, because maybe they didn't have the laugh track. I don't know. What did you think? Was it was it a thing for you or? Uh, yeah, I did notice that a bit, and also the fact that it's one person reading it means that you don't have quite the pace of delivery that you would get with two people doing the lines because somebody can't sort of cut someone off in the same way as you could if it's two one person cutting off another when you're reading it just one person it 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 sounds different when you do the second character cutting them off see what i mean yeah for sure i mean like the i can't remember the full lineup of it but there's a, a line Crichton says when they're talking about cat and he basically you know he says oh it's um to find pussy and i literally wrote in my notes i put jesus christ like I can't like I I know Red Dwarf like Red Dwarf does delve into that sort of humor occasionally, but to be <laughs> I don't know for me it was like th- to be that on the nose of it I was just like wow okay that did like, feel the most and I I kind of feel that that would have been a line that maybe wouldn't have gotten further in the yeah like out of all the ways feel, to frame even, it as well even having watched the rest of the show that line felt very stark and just like whoa okay. <laughs> Coming from Crichton as well, like, you know, it just was like this, like, and you know, to point, I just want to clarify, like, I'm not a prude or anything, like, I'm not offended by the word or anything like that. But, like, it was, as I say, it was stark. It was literally, like, out of, completely out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, wow, okay. I, I think it's potentially quite, it's a funny line. Um, and it, and it, and I get why, because it plays on the cat theme yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and all yeah. of that. It, it makes sense. And I get where the comedy's coming from. It's just that I think it was just quite, uh, like I said, stuck. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And I wasn't expecting something like that, that it just doesn't quite feel like it fits. I'm not offended by it at all, but it yeah, just yeah. it just felt like a bit out of place. I don't know. Yeah, like a jagged piece of a puzzle, sort of so speak. So Yeah. Um Yeah. On that line about the comedy though, I mean the you know the the bit following that, the domino segment I called it, you know, when um Lister and Crichton are playing dominoes. Um, mm. for me, that segment, I didn't find too gripping. I know like now, obviously it's setting up event. Well, it's, it's foreshadowing what we'll see and discuss later in this episode, but I don't know about you. I don't know whether it was because it, maybe it wasn't visual or may uh, visual in the sense of like, you know, m- with movement or maybe it was, a, I, I just didn't find that segment very engaging to be honest. No. What did you think? No. Yeah, I, I I didn't make any notes at all about that section, so I'm guessing I didn't find it very engaging. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. I didn't, I, mean, I didn't have any comment on it whatsoever. I mean, as again, like, look at when we get to it, it does serve as that foreshadowing device, but I do wonder maybe whether that foreshadowing could have still been done, but maybe just not as elongated and as in, you know, in that manner, basically. I don't know. I just, yeah, it just wasn't very engaging, that whole segment I found. Yeah. What did you think about the the Crichton drones, the little uh, nano drone things that have his head? See, in that pictures? was that was one thing where I would have loved to have like seen it. There were many moments in this episode where I wrote like I would have loved to have seen this like on screen for real. 
Um, because being this was meant to be in Series 7, so in 1997, I just wanted to see how they would have realised that, you know, that effect. Yeah, because in the drawing, it's kind of, a, it's a miniature version of his head. Yes. That is uh, on some kind of propellers. Yeah, it's just a head with a propeller on the back, basically. A head with so. a propeller, and it speaks with a high-pitched voice because it's a mini Crichton head. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm like, would that, you know, would that have been done, like, practically, or would it be CGI, or, you know, so, yeah, that was one of many moments in this story where I was like, oh, I wish, you know, I wish we had this realised in a way. Yeah, so they need to find a new, uh, find a female cat, the cat to mate with. Um, and that's where the uh, fine pussy line comes in. Yes, um, that's it. And that they they detect one in Gelf territory. In the meantime, one bit I did like was Cat looking at videos of humans in cat costumes to cope, basically to like as a kind of like relief mechanism. Yeah. And he was watching videos of the Kit Kat Club in Bangkok, and also Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. <laughs> yes yeah from he says from batman 2 and in my head i was like so we're talking about batman returns then yeah 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 maybe just maybe they couldn't say batman returns i don't know i, was I like, guess so i mean yeah. was it called was it called batman 2? no it was Colloquially just called batman returns but... but you know like you know like in a film colloquially like you know people in school where they'd be like oh have you seen bat do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you just abbreviate it to a number. Like oh, have you seen maybe? But I'm trying to think of an example. Where I because I, I probably did that with some film. I'm just trying to think. Maybe well, I, well the... yeah, I do that. I tell you what, film one film I do that too. Wreck It Ralph and oh yeah, Wreck It I Wreck It Ralph. Ralph breaks the internet is the sequel. I and think. it's a mouthful, that isn't it? <laughs> but I just say Wreck It Ralph too. <laughs> yeah, because because yeah, because exactly. I think when I was really little, I maybe did it. You know, with the Harry Potters, you know, I'd say like, oh, have you seen Harry Potter 1 or Harry Potter? Do you know what I mean? Things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I, I found that curious. I was like, oh, I wonder if I said Batman 2. But yeah, nice little Michelle Pfeiffer reference because, you know, if, if you've seen Batman Returns, I won't go any further than that. But, you know, if you haven't, then yeah, well, it's it's a good film. I enjoy Batman Returns as well. Yeah, me too. So they get to this girl. Nice to bring the girl back in again for seemingly like the bajillionth time this <laughs> this season. Yeah, it feels like. and we get to a whole girl like it's a whole girl outpost, and there are lots of girl. They go through a markets trading sort of area. There's lots of girl around, and I can see this is why that both the sets and also the girl costumes must have added to the potential budget of this, and that's yeah. probably why it never got made because it's from would location filming and was, all the yeah. sets they would have had to build and stuff yeah i was gonna say like the fact it's outdoors as well you can't even get away with just doing it in a studio like you would have had to unless that's again though curious like if this had gone ahead maybe you know i guess they maybe could have adapted it so that the whole thing was like indoors somehow for that reason but yeah no as you say lots of costumes lots of sets lots of uh, this, this episode really in fact no I'm going to save that till the end I've decided because it's basically my summation of it all but I'll save that for later um, oh, Okay. I did notice when we do get on the planet uh, Crichton mentions about their three layers of teeth and what they do and how one row is specifically to get the cellophane off a VHS video VHS tapes so, so yeah that lends to our, our theory Phil VHS does survive into the whatever century this is where it we makes are a comeback now. obviously much like vinyl has done these days um, yeah at some point in the 23rd century vhs will make a comeback bring back the triangle vhs you cowards bring it bring it yes. back um they all have to pretend to be merchants and they all wear like random things on their chests 
So Rimmer, I think, has a pot and pan type thing. And yeah. was it who has the potato? Somebody has a potato. Uh, Lister's got the potato. Lister's um, got the potato. Yeah, I can't remember what cat has. Yeah, but yeah, Rimmer has the pan. Yeah, because they yeah. can't. They have to be only traders are allowed into the Gelf outpost. Yeah. Um, but they immediately after getting in there, they're like, right, we've got to stick together. We've got to we've got to be on point on mission. And then immediately they start like getting distracted by things and start peeling off from the group. So Crichton gets distracted by some like a wiper set yeah, <laughs> on a yeah. market stall. Then Rimmer finds a collection of stamps, was it or some? No, no, it was number uh, a magazine about s- starship. Yeah, so something, serial numbers something, or something only like Rimmer that. could enjoy. Bless him, absolutely. So, yeah, and then um, Lister finds a bar that he wants to go drink in. Of course. <laughs> and, and eventually catch this left there by himself. <laughs> yes, to his own <laughs> Confronted devices. Confronted by a gelf. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a gelf. I got mixed... This whole setup, like the market thing made me instantly think of like, you know, Moss Eisley from Star Wars. And then with the with the bar, because they mentioned specifically like saloon doors, I was getting like, oh, so it's like a... Almost like a gelf Wild West thing. And of course, Red Dwarf's no stranger to the Wild West, as we've seen with like Gunmen of the Apocalypse and stuff like that. So... Yeah, real mishmash. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit. And then some, one of the girls thinks that he's identified Cat as a cat. Mm. And he sniffs him. And then he's like, oh, no, you're not a cat. Sorry, I thought you were a cat for a moment, but you're not. And at that point, I was a bit confused why he didn't... Well, like, what had happened there? Why had he thought he was a cat and then suddenly he's not a cat? But he is Yeah. A cat. So, yeah. and that's when we find out that actually they... Oh, no, th- that was earlier. I'm getting on my chronology. No, no, it's all right. But yeah, I get what you mean. Basically, it's... at some point anyway, this sniffing thing happens and... They find and Crichton informs him that actually, um, it, it they eat cats, so don't don't point out that you're a cat. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, when when he's by himself, he comes across the female cat who is captured and a prisoner in a cage. Yes, Aura, I believe her name is. And this starts the whole kind of main thrust of the theme of the episode, really, which is sort of uh, basically an identity crisis for cats. Yes. Because she doesn't think he's a cat. Yeah. Because he doesn't act like she thinks a cat should act. Yeah, and this is where the whole, like, it's disappointing that we never got to see this play out fully because this is where you get a lot of, like, the development and dedication to Cat's character. And, like, that whole thing Aura says about, you know, how he doesn't, he's not like a cat. And then later he, he describes to the lads that he feel, you know, he's almost like, he's almost like a human now or he's yeah, been domesticated he, to that point which when you think about it he kind of has like you know you think how he was in when we first met him in the first episode compared absolutely. to like even earlier in this series he's very like we said he's part of the crew which is great but he he acts arguably more like uh the, you know a human cat like you know like lister i guess in, in terms of being like he human. was very independent in that first couple of series he would barely like interact with with rimmer and Lister, he would be a bit kind of prowling the, sh- the ship by himself and he'd yeah. just kind of come upon them every so often and interact with them and that would be it. And he'd, be, he'd have his weird walk where he'd be like, ah! Oh, yeah. And I, I used to, oh, well, I loved that at first. and then, But then, but yeah, he doesn't do that. So, I, yeah, as that was getting explored, I really thought this would have been, you know, it's a shame we never got to see this like play out on screen as, as it's depicted here because I think it, it's just, 
It's just nice to see Cat get something proper, you know, not just like a, a one-liner here or a small subplot there. So, no, I really enjoyed all the, the perspective development. Um, did you, Do you think it fit the character as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like we were saying, it, it absolutely works with what we've seen from the Cat over the last seven series because he has had that journey where he's gotten more and more like a sort of regular crew member he still has his quirks he still has his fashion sense and all that sort of stuff but he's some of the eccentricities that he had earlier on he doesn't have anymore he does seem a little bit less cat-like as the series goes on and i like Mm. that this addressed that that was really nice yeah and i like how as well when he then goes back to red dwarf and you know he's almost threat before he's going on his cat commando mission you know he's he has the bazookoid and the lads are like whoa what are you doing and that whole spiel where he explains how he's you know not like a cat anymore i think they do a great job but they still get the comedy in you know like about the whole he can't leap or anything like that um but it's nice that cats angry at them and having a go at them for something that isn't just really trivial you know, because like yeah. when he's done that in the past, it's often been about, oh, like, why can't I take my, you know, entire wardrobe somewhere? Or why, you know, really just mundane, but, you know, comedy setup stuff. Whereas here, there is still the jokes, but it, it there's more weight to it, I think, based on what we've just said. I did like the commando mission he goes on. That was really good. Um, yes, complete with Mission Impossible music, as has yeah. pointed out in the stage <laughs> directions. So, yeah. And he's like doing rolls. He's got his gun and then he falls down a hole. Yep. Um, and I find it quite funny that then just like a gelf comes along and just sort of helps him up. Yeah, that's a great, <laughs> I w- again, a great gag that would have been even funnier had we had the episode been made. And and that whole MI thing, like, um, I guess 1997, Mission Impossible was around then, what, like the Tom Cruise films. That was that time, wasn't it? Like the mid to late 90s when the first uh, few... Yeah, I think the first one might have come out by then. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Leaning into that little little pop culture i mean they're still coming out now we're on what mission impossible seven i don't know yeah there's a lot of them it's amazing they've been going so long those mission impossible films and yeah they they don't make them quite as frequently as say the uh fast and furious movies which is the other long-running franchise that gets movie after movie after movie what what is that number nine now that's on that's uh, yeah that's had nine i think um, yeah. So even though it's been going for about half the time that um, <laughs> Mission mad. Impossible I, has. Quick, quick sidestep is I've only ever seen the first Fast and Furious movie, right? And I was like, eh, you know, fine, you know, fine, whatever. And I always remember seeing the trailers for all of the others. And literally every time I saw the trailer, I was like, the, to me, I was like, this just looks like the first film again. So I've never really? watched the rest. It, to yeah. me, it looks like I've only seen the first three films. Oh, okay. Um, so I've seen uh, Fast and Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. All these. Uh, we're going on the right well. tangent here, but let's let's stick with it. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, and and to me, the like the the more because those first ones, those first three films are very sort of like street level, uh, about you know street racing and like the illegal world they're involved in. It seems like I've not seen any since, but from the trailers, they're like going to space now and like doing massive launches off of like doing massive. I think they were stealing DVD players in the first one. (laughs) That was that was the crime. And now they're like doing international espionage. (laughs) Yeah, they just well, that's the problem, isn't it? Because like you say, you start street and then obviously you can only 
do that for so long. So then you think, right, well, wh- where do we go now? Oh, we've got to go bigger. And then it's now they're to the point where they're just getting, you know, bigger, like you say, to the point of ridiculousness. And I think it's that, again, sorry, folks, me- mega tangent. We'll get back on it. But um, the it reminds me, you know, the Call of Duty franchise of video games? Like, yeah. I used to play them a lot. And again, they started small. It was World War II. And then they did, oh, we're doing modern warfare. So it's in the modern day. Okay, cool. But now it's like, oh, people love that. So, so now what do we do? And then eventually it's like, oh, now we're in space. And now we're in the future. <laughs> and now it, we're like portal hopping. Do you know, like you're saying, it, yeah. gets, it gets too ridiculous. And then they have to bring it back down to Earth. So I imagine it wouldn't surprise me if we get to like Fast and Furious 10 or something. And then it's like, oh, we're like Fast and Furious back to the streets or something like that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, at go. least at least the boys from the dwarf don't do anything like that no they they, they don't they stay grounded they They stay you know relative i mean i this season has gotten a bit more cinematic admittedly but um they are they are doing they're doing their same old stuff they're doing their shtick yeah yeah but um cat's commando plan doesn't really as you say go how he wants to after being rescued by the gelf he 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 can't get through the bars well not no his bazookoid just makes the bars stronger hmm um, when he tries to blast this cat woman out, and she's just there mocking him, basically. Yeah. Poor cat. Um, but Lister's got a plan as well. He's going to win the female cat by cheating in gambling. <laughs> Which obviously refers to what we saw in, um, well, the domino scene. So Yeah. yeah. So they, they he's going to go and, and go into some kind of, in the bar that he was in earlier, go and, and compete in a gambling game and... They bet the currency there seems to be mushy peas. Yeah, which as I'm not a fan of mushy peas. So Neither that, am the I. Idea, I do not like mushy this peas. This was one instance where I'm glad this didn't get made because I think I just would have been repulsed at the amount of mushy peas being like flung around and just, ugh, no, 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 thank you. But um, yes, it goes badly though when mm. Lister gets a bit drunk. <laughs> yeah. He thinks he's he... drinking water, but he's actually drinking something that gets him drunk. Didn't um, they mention like the ingredient was like included like raw kerosene or something? Something like, like bloody that, hell! Yeah. Like, wouldn't that kill him? I'm surprised. Like, yeah, it's... I was surprised he didn't die when they first said the ingredients. I was like, oh, okay, so they're going to have to perform an emergency medical yeah, operation because kerosene—that's jet fuel, isn't it? Something like that. But but it just made him drunk and get all his signals because they were cheating by Brighton was analyzing the cards or something and then doing hand signals or face signals to him. He got yeah. them all confused and lost all of his mushy peas. Another moment where you wish you could see it because you know Robert Llewellyn would really do a great job of like the physical comedy of like that, oh, like the yes. winking and the thumbs up and stuff. Like, it would have been the... over exaggerated and it would have yeah. been hilarious. It would have been great. And I noticed as well the game they play. I don't think it had a well. If it had a name, I missed it. But it's about betting. You're predict. No, is it you're predicting the cards that come up? Was it or? I don't know. I didn't that pay that much attention to uh, it. That's fair. I noticed that the first hand that dealt was a king and a nine or K9, if you like. And I was like, no. hmm, curious. Obviously, you know, that linking to Doctor Who's dog, that could just be my head and it could be a random coincidence. But, we, you know, this show's had Doctor Who Easter eggs before. So I'd say it's not completely unreasonable. Um, but yeah, just a little tidbit I noticed there. But yes, it doesn't go well um, because. And after gets... losing all of his mushy peas, he's determined to stay in the game. So he bets the keys to Starbug. Yep. And then he loses those. Yeah, <laughs> only because he gets time, interrupted. Yeah. yeah. It get, they they get the signals right this time, but then somebody joins the game next to him, disrupting the audio 
order the cards would have been dealt in. Mm. And actually, his the winning hand they had hoped would go to Lister goes to a, another Gelf next to him. Yes, Zural, um, I believe his name is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, meanwhile, Cat is bidding on the female cat in an auction. Mm. Uh there's another there's another line here that is a bit <laughs> it's a bit close to the line, <laughs> but I, I did find it funny um, when he's because they're betting by holding up fingers and somebody bets like holds up one finger and he holds up two fingers and then he says to the female cat, "See, I'm good with my fingers." Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm I must have just missed. I didn't make a note of that, but it's it's a weird one isn't it because you could argue that does fit in with the cat's character but yeah you're right oh absolutely for, yeah for red it's... dwarf similar to the line earlier it's a bit like whoa okay so <laughs> i did find it funny but it did, um... yeah yeah it's funny but yeah just just surprising i guess isn't it like you say close to the mark but yeah for red dwarf anyway but actually at the last and, and then he finds out that actually the guys didn't win the game so he yeah. doesn't have the money to pay them and the girl are probably going to execute him for not being able to pay his debts Yes, and, there's a great but, moment, sorry, with Crichton saying he activates blunt mode where he's like, was uh, we lost no money, uh, she's gone, you're we're dead or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you're that, dead. I like that. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, um, but luckily for him, the other girl, the one at the card table, comes in and uh, outbids him at the last moment and yes. actually wins the um, wins the girl in the bid. Yes, to which point cat challenges him to a sword fight yeah and, which and sh- should be said that the gelf this particular tribe of gelf Crichton has said early on in the episode are particularly good swordsmen yes but i, I like that from cat though because often when it's come to like combat in the past or facing things down he he's one of those where he's been presented as he'll, he'll like talk a good bravado but then when when it counts he'll act really cowardly so it was nice yeah. to see here that he he talks the talk but then he's also willing to walk the walk as it were and I think part of that is that he wants to show off to the uh, female cats, and you know he's he's uh, he's been wounded by her accusations of that he is not cat enough to be a cat, yeah. and therefore he wants to prove her wrong. So he does the challenge and challenges the the gelf to a fight. Yeah, yeah, which doesn't go in his favor at first, but then he. he he rekindles his it's his instinct isn't it he finds his instinct again yeah and and i think that would have been an interesting scene to see play out in live action obviously with the drawings we get a few like indications of what stances they might have had but don't really get the full feel of it with Mm. um with a storyboard but he does yeah he he gets the upper hand and is kind of got the gelf on the floor and then the gelf deactivates something on their belt and it turns out that that was just some kind of holographic disguise, and it's actually a male cat, another male cat. Mm. The um, other cats, uh, the female cat, sort of commanding officer from yes. where wherever she was from. Yes. Um, yeah. And then, like, I don't know if you saw this guy. Like, it seemingly come out of nowhere. Yeah. Cat still yeah. stabs him. <laughs> Yeah, he lobs the sword at him, and the storyboard actually shows the sword going through him. Which I mean. If they'd have shown that on, I mean, I know Red Dwarf aired after the watershed, so they probably could have got away with it. But again, that just, we've, we've had, obviously, people die, but to have, like, an out-and-out stabbing like that, I don't know. It, is that is that a Red Dwarf thing? Does that feel like Red Dwarf? I mean, what do you think? Does Like, an out-and-out um, out stabbing Yeah, like you know that? what? I wouldn't have, um, maybe, 
I, I think if they had filmed it, they probably would have cut so that we didn't see the blade necessarily go through. Right, just cut to him being on the sound floor effects. or something. Sort of, yeah. we would have seen their face, I think. Right, I, I right. suspect it would have cut to their face and then like kind of slightly keel over it in the kind of way that people do when they're, <laughs> when they're stabbed. Oh, yes, they yeah. In film and TV, at least. Um, so I think that's probably how they would have done it. So in the story, he's the, the same thing would have happened, but what we see might have been different for these storyboards, I yeah, suspect. For sure. But, um, but uh, you know, uh, there's a line in there about a jealousy and... And and so initially I was thinking, oh, is the cat just killed him to kind of like assert his dominance in a cat type way and try and win the woman that way? I was like, okay, I don't know how I feel about the cat doing cold blooded murder for that reason. Yeah, uh, it's a weird but, one because again, having looking at cat and also having again, I know we haven't uh, shared it with the audience yet, but having read the the book that we've been going through. Um, and what that describes Kat as in some situations, I can sort of see it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. If it was just this one time, I think I'd see it. If it became a regular thing, I'd be like, no, okay, I don't think this is really a Kat's thing. But no, I, it didn't It didn't jar with me that much, if you get me, like when it happened. Yeah. It came out of nowhere, but I wasn't like, ooh, I'm not not too sure about that. But, but then to soft, sort of soften the blow slightly, he then, the cat says... That that he he that basically this other cat is bound to be the guy that betrayed that the female cat squadron to yes. the gelf in the first place. So somehow that kind of makes it okay because <laughs> then he was the bad guy. I don't you know he doesn't uh, he doesn't provide any evidence to back that up. He's just like yeah, just it, was, it was this guy. Yeah, just bound instinct. to be him. That's how you get away with. In fact, no, I'm not going to say that. But you know, that, that's not how you get away with cold blooded murder. But yeah, no, it does. They just sort of. It's that red dwarfism, isn't it? Something happens. They've got to round it off. They'll say something. But, um, but for surprisingly, that's for me. I thought, okay, that's the end. Then you know. But there is a little bit more as well. Um, Lister has one of his contemplative moments. If you yeah, like. obviously the cat gets the girl, and uh, oh, they, they kiss. In a very um, James Bond, I think it's the Spy Who Loved Me, where they they sail off into the not the sunset, but the the starscape in an escape pod. Um, yeah, yeah. Lister thinks they're leaving for good together. Yeah, and he has that little moment where he's sort of saying, you know, how he wants to tell every, you know, tell all his mates basically how he feels about them in a in a positive way. Um, but then Rimmer kind of, you know poo-poos all that <laughs> what does he say to Rimmer he's like you're the you're the exception to the rule well like he kind of like it does kind of start to sound like he's about to tell Rimmer that he means a lot to him yeah it's almost and, going there and like, then Rimmer is the one that kind of cuts that off and says something that then makes Lister go oh never mind basically yeah um and, and I did quite like that and I liked the moment between the because you know they are friends by this point really absolutely and it's, it's just kind of unsaid and they 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 insult each other but by this point in the show they are friends and that's shown in the other episodes which we've already watched now episodes where uh they you know rimmer leaves and then he has a dream about him later and all those sort of things that so i, li- I like this little moment yeah it, it starts off as a moment with the list with Lister sort of being sad about cats, but actually then it turns into a Lister and Rimmer moment. Absolutely. And it's, uh, we've described before how we like those moments when it is just those two, whether it's played completely straight or whether it's played straight then with the comedy punchline. And 
again, this is another moment where I wish we could have seen it for real. Um, but alas, but like you said, um, Lister thinks Cat's gone forever, but that is not the case because he's back. What is it? 20 minutes? Was it 20 minutes later or two yes. hours later? Something like Which that. Crichton points out. Well, that was a lot, very long. You must have really loved her to have such a long relationship with her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is a, obviously just a joke on the cats, on the fact that cats just like roam free and don't, don't stick with their people they have babies with. And no, they just do what they, they, they want. With. Yeah. 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 20, yeah. 20 minutes is a long-term, seriously long-term relationship. Right. For him it is, yeah. But the positive is he he he, re- he discovers that he's, I guess, got his cat-like abilities back or his instinct back. Yeah. Because um, he leaps straight on the roof. Um, yeah. And then the episode ends. <laughs> and that is the end of the episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what were your like? What were your summary thoughts on this then, Phil? Having having seen it now, I think this would have made a really good episode, and I'm really uh, disappointed we didn't get to see it in live action. It repla- basically when they when they cancelled this episode and they needed a new episode because this got changed in the writing process, as I said later on by another right. writer, and and at that point it also replaced because uh, by that point they had other scripts further developed so for this season so. They knew that Rimmer was leaving, so they replaced Rimmer with Kachansky in the later version as well. I was going to say that, yeah, because obviously in the version that any audiences will find on the DVD or Blu-ray, you know, Kachansky isn't in it, uh, which might seem odd if you're watching this in tandem with Series 7. But as, yeah, you just pointed out there, this was an early draft, I guess, before they decided or knew that that was going to happen. Yeah, and then beyond that, they dropped this completely and replaced it with the episode that was Duck Soup, which... Yeah, I think I think I remember yeah. if I recall when we watched it was not one of our favorite episodes of the series. No. And to be honest, like my my overall thing on it, I kind of wish this was made instead yeah, of Duck definitely. Soup, really. And considering I'm saying that having only seen a storyboard script read through of it, I think that says something about uh, Duck Soup, sadly. Um, but I think again, with credit to Duck Soup, I think we mentioned there that obviously since this it was like a last minute replacement, you can kind of tell it's been you know drawn up on on the budget and maybe not last minute, but you know maybe it was one of the last to be finalized or whatever. Um, but no, I wish we had this mainly for the reasons we said about like it gives good development for Cat um, development we hadn't really we haven't really seen before so far chronologically. Um, so it's a shame it's almost like one chance in the sun got um, got dashed. And um, yeah, it, I feel the the way this was going really lends to the movie feel as yeah. well that they were going for with Series 7. Like you said, with the multiple locations, all the different uh, side characters, the uh, like the commando cat stuff, the betting scene. Do you know what I mean? That All these things that like similar episodes like Tika to Ride and Stoke Me a Clipper. Um, yeah, I just think this could have been a really good fit in season seven, series seven. Sorry, even if they swapped Rimmer with Kachansky, I still think it could have worked really well. Yeah, because Rimmer um, wasn't a, a particularly key part of this episode, so yeah, it absolutely could have no. worked. Could have worked without him and with Kachansky. Yeah, so good concept. Just a shame. Shame it never. Shame it never got that. Far. Yeah, same. Now we usually do a couple of regular features on the show. This is our as our first bonus episode away from the main sort of the main episodes. Um, we can see if they still fit and if we can still, we do that. We usually do our favorite character and our funniest moment. It's going to be with a pinch of salt. I think this week, because yeah. obviously we, it wasn't presented to us as a, as an episode. It's a storyboard with narration. So 
the humor mm-hmm. kind of hits differently. But if you had to pick a favorite character in this one, who would it be? Uh, for, I'd have to I'd have to give it to Cat. Honestly, yeah, same. Um, even though it's just uh, Chris Barry doing the re- rather than Danny John Jules, just just for that reason of the development and some of the stuff he got, you know, particularly as I said, that scene where he sort of faces the other three uh, boys from the dwarf, you know, explain about how he feels and stuff. Yes, as I said, there's comedy bits in it, but it was just a really good moment for Cat, I think, and it, it's just just a shame we never got to to see it. So yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it to Cat. Yeah, I, I think the same. Definitely, Cat. It's it would have been really nice to have this as a bit of development for him. Um, what Absolutely. about funniest moment? This one's a bit more tricky. Well, it, it, it's hard, isn't it? Because obviously, like you said, we're only going off visually. You've got just the storyboards, which are still images, and then you're relying then on how Chris Barry delivers it. But um, I just quite like the. I quite. I think I'm going to give it to the the gambling scene. Um, just the way it, you know, it unfurls the realization that he's drinking stuff that's going to make him smashed, and the aftermath of it. And I just really liked it. I found that really funny. So, um, yeah, going to give it to the gambling scene. For yeah, me. I think I'm going to give it to the Michelle Pfeiffer line. Oh, really? Yeah, I quite liked it. <laughs> oh, yeah. fair enough. Fair Interesting enough. Interesting line. Yeah, yeah, but like it was, yeah, it was I, difficult to pick because nice it is, it is a bit of a weird one to pick a favorite moment, funniest moment of. Um, yeah. given the, the format of it. There you go. Absolutely. That's Identity Within. The first of our bonus episodes, are we calling Ooh, are them? We gonna, are we going to do it Scutters Out of Scut- 10? Oh, yeah, or? let's do Scutters Out of 10. Why not? Yeah, because, well, it, it's interesting for this one, isn't it? Because I've, I've given it a 7 purely on the basis of what, you know, what we've seen there, story, you know, storyboards and with it just being Chris Barry. Um, I wasn't bored at any point. You know, I didn't lose engagement with it or anything like that. Um, but I, I'll probably say if this had got made and it was if the story and the key moments were the same as what we saw here, I'd probably give it higher. I'm not going to say what because obviously I don't yeah. know. But do you get what yeah, I mean? I like had this been made, it probably would have been higher than a seven. Yeah, because some of the things we might take into consideration, like the the graphics on it or the actors' performances, even because obviously this is all just Chris Barry, aren't a factor yeah. as much in this. Um, Taking it up, hold it. I, you know, I really enjoyed it still. Um, and yeah. trying taking it for what it is, which is a storyboard of pictures and Chris Barry doing excellent <laughs> narration and excellent impersonations of everyone. Think I'm going to give it, and I really like the story as well. The story structure and giving some much needed uh, screen oh, time God. to Cat. I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah. Oh, an eight. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. There we go. So nice. anyway, that's the first of our bonus episodes. We will be doing more of these, I think. We, as as we've alluded to in this video many times, we are reading the book, um, the first yes. book, uh, Infinity War. Yes, which is a combination, driving. isn't it? Yes, yeah. Well, the the one we've got, it's it's the two. What is it? One's called Just Red Dwarf, and then it's better than yeah. Life, I think isn't the it? one called Just Red Dwarf is Infinity Work. Welcomes Careful Drivers. Oh, sorry, but right? Just yes, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's not listed as that in the omnibus edition. So got you. Got uh, we you. will be doing uh, a thing on that at some point <laughs> on those. Absolutely. So it will happen. Yeah, we just got to finish them first. And then, uh, <laughs> we, you know, if there's anything else you think we should cover in these bonus episodes, we will slot them in between if there's anything. Uh, yes, we need to be able yeah. to get hold of it, obviously. 
that's the important yeah, thing. Yeah, make sure it's not I one would... of those like rare physical media things that are like hundreds of pounds yeah. and you're not going to realistically owe I mean, I would like love that. to play the role-playing game, but I've looked on eBay and that is <laughs> ridiculously hundreds of pounds. Is it really? So, oh, wow. Uh, it's so rare. So um, I'm... If you've got one and you don't mind us borrowing it, um, pl- please, you know. <laughs> yeah, or if you can point us in the direction of some PDFs online. <laughs> that would work yes. too. Yeah, yeah, um, So, yeah, we'll do more of these. Let us know what you want to see. And in the meantime, we'll be back with a regular episode next week. Yes. See you then. See you later.